Who or what do you look to most in your life for satisfaction? In what areas of your life are you saying right now, when I have this, then everything will be awesome. If I only had that, or if this person was only more like that. And what's that producing in you? Like, how's that ultimately making you feel? Is that, does that bring in great joy and satisfaction to your life? And what are we saying about God in that moment? Like, when we look at, like, our spouse or our kids or the people in our church or this house that we actually own a home, it's amazing, right? Or this apartment or whatever we have, right? You know, and, you know, God, this isn't, you know, we complain about it. Like, what are we saying about God? Like, God, you're not that good, right? You're just not that good. See, sometimes we go after stuff, we try to fill those needs ourselves. we find temporary satisfaction, ultimately followed by deep dissatisfaction. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Hey, all right, here we are. Hope you're having a good week. Hope it's uh, been a good beginning of the holiday. We're kind of past that that initial tipping point of Thanksgiving, ours was awesome, hope yours was too, but now we're deep into it. We can see Christmas looming and and we're celebrating Advent together and all that and getting the shopping done and all that stuff. I think it's crazy today. It's, a, it's amazing how things can change so quickly in a year. Um, I saw on the news that uh, foot traffic, shopping foot traffic, traffic at like retail stores was down 52% on Good Friday this year over last. That's like half, right? According to these big firms that, uh, I don't know, track all that stuff. Um, and so they said there was like no lines at the retail stores where, you know, think about all the years we've seen people in line late at night, you know, waiting to get in for that Good Friday, get that super good deal on an iPad or TV or some freaking out, right? But instead, check this out, the COVID testing stations had really long lines. And like leading up to and after the start of the holiday, Thanksgiving, I read, uh, I read when some people said that in Brooklyn, New York, they waited three and a half hours for the rapid test. <laughs> There's your rapid test. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so things have changed a lot. But um, again, I think I said this maybe on the last episode, I'm really feeling the spirit and kind of into it early this year. And maybe it's because I've been prepping up these uh, Advent messages and, and uh, you know, talks on the show here. But I don't know. Anyway, hey, before we get going today, um, I want to invite you to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Uh, whatever platform you're on, if you go there, uh, you can subscribe. Most platforms, you can subscribe so that, boom, it gives you a little reminder or downloads it for you. I know I listen on my iPhone, so the Apple Podcast, you can totally do that. Uh, you can, you know, favorite things in Spotify and all that. So would you please do that? And if possible, leave us a review, okay? I always try to read reviews, as many as I can when they come in uh, on the show. I really appreciate them. It also helps other people who are kind of searching around for different keywords and all that, figure out, oh, this might be a show I dig. What does this guy say? What does she say about it? So I really, really appreciate that. Um, if you want to see all the different platforms out there that you can listen to the 
podcast on, like maybe you're listening to this on our website or whatever, a friend sent you a link. And we, you can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash subscribe. Okay. Everydaydisciple.com forward slash subscribe. That'll take you to a page with a whole bunch of different players on it. Easy, right? Easy peasy. All right. Well, hey, as a reminder, this year, uh, I decided to join this Advent celebration on the podcast. And so for four weeks, this is our third, the four weeks of Advent, um, I'm sharing my thoughts a week ahead of the official Advent Sundays um, on hope and peace and joy and love. And I'm doing it a week ahead because, and I've gotten, some of you have told me this, like it's really been helping me in my own Advent prep for <laughs> my messages at church, for the church, or in my home with my family or whatever. And and we're basing them all going, looking at these sort of classic movements of hope, peace, joy, and love through the lens of the four Gs, these four life-changing truths about God and how they speak into our lives in this season and every day, right? So we started out with God is great, so we have hope. And uh, last week we talked about God is glorious. He's the most glorious one, so we can live in peace with others and ourselves. Today we're going to talk about God is good, so we find satisfaction and joy in our lives. We don't have to look elsewhere. It's going to be powerful, all right? And that comes that comes right out of all that stuff we've learned from Tim Chester over the years. i got to just say thanks again, Tim. This has been life-changing for us. So, so let's, let's get started on this. So the, the statement, God is good, has this corresponding statement with it. So I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. And, and here at Advent, we're saying God is good, so we find satisfaction and joy in our lives. We can actually have it. Like, do you believe that? Do you believe God is good so we can find and have satisfaction and joy? Do you believe that God's good? He's a good God? That he always does what is good and right and perfect? That's what the word holy means, good, right, and perfect. Like he's the only one who always does what is good, right, and perfect. If we believe that, it changes so much of our life. And we're going to see today how it can bring us great joy and satisfy our, what we long for. And so as we celebrate Advent in participation of Jesus' birth this Christmas, let me ask you this question. Who or what are you looking to for your joy, for satisfaction, to fill your needs and hungers that you have in your, in your heart, in your life? It's a good question to contemplate, not only in the holidays, but I think all the time, and, and as, especially as we dive into this a little bit deeper together. All right, well, as I often like to do, let, let's go right back to the beginning of the story of God we see in Scripture. We see God establish a pattern of him creating a need and then providing. Have you ever noticed this, this pattern, okay? But, but like we see God created space, and you know the Bible says the foundations of the earth were laid and everything was formless and void, and then he filled this space with good things, with all of creation, beauty and texture and color and animals and foliage and fruit and vegetables, right? It's like the space was hungry for God's goodness, and he filled it, and he said, this is good. This is good. Remember, he only does what is good, right, and perfect. That's how he created everything. And then he created the first humans, Adam and Eve. And, and he said, it is very good. And God created humanity, that includes you and I, with continual reminders of our need for him 
and the ongoing provision from his hand to take care of that need. Things like sleep and water and food. You ever wonder why you get hungry? Like, why do we get hungry, let's say, on the average of three times a day to eat? Why, why didn't God just create the world where when we breathed from the air, that's where our nutrition came from? Like, he could have, right? So it could have been like, wow, I'm stuffed, <laughs> right? But see, he creates us to need, to, to have need. We have need for, for love and for relationship and intimacy. And, and I really believe that God created us with hunger and need for our own good. And you might hear this, you might think, well, it seems that creating a world with an ongoing hunger is some sort of kind of maybe divine manipulation tactic. But I don't, God's not manipulating us. He's sustaining us. He's keeping us alive. The very fact that we are the created and he's the creator shows us that we need him. We wouldn't exist without or apart from him. He's the source of all life. So we could say with some level of certainty, I believe, that God created us to be hungry as a way to continually remind us that to try, you know, to try and find life and satisfaction outside of God is to choose death, right? Choose life apart from him, the source of our life. He wants us to live, and our hunger is a regular reminder that in so living, we need him to keep living. Does that make sense? That hunger reminds us, like, I have need outside myself. And there again, we're using food as an analogy there, but it's also hunger for rest and hunger for, for you know, purpose and all that. We, we need things physically. We need God physically. He created us, and we need him to meet those needs. And that hopefully causes us to have great thankfulness. But our physical needs also point to spiritual needs. We need God spiritually, right? Most of our physical needs, by the way, point to deeper spiritual realities in our lives too. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Every physical need you have is a picture of a spiritual need. Like our bodies need rest. Your soul needs rest. Like deep down in, we need to like rest, like really rest from all the freaking out and labor and right. Like your body is thirsty and your soul thirsts. Your body's hungry, your soul is hungry. Your body needs love and intimacy. Your soul needs love and, and intimacy and connection. And God in his goodness meets the needs of your body and God in his goodness is the only one who ultimately meets the needs of our souls. So don't miss that pattern. God creates the need and he designed us for him to be the one who fills it. Don't miss that, okay? That's going to be so big to where we're going here. God creates need. That's loving because he knows he will be the one to fill it, and he's created us for that to be the case. Now, as we kind of start to head towards, okay, how does this fit into Advent and all that? For hundreds of years, the church has anticipated the coming of Jesus during the season of Advent. That's what we do. During Advent, we kind of re, right? We re sort of anticipate Jesus coming. But like originally, Jesus arrived after a period of 400 years of silence. Like, like Israel was rejecting God, like completely holy, even after all kinds of turmoil and warnings and reminders from the prophets. And there was 400 years of silence and confusion and longing 
for the Jewish people. And into that space, into that void, the angels announced to the shepherds the good news of Jesus and that he would bring great joy to all his people, right? That's what we celebrate on this third week of Advent, right? Now, today I want to I want to go a little bit deeper into the narrative, into the story. Let's take a look at that well-known and beautiful narrative of Mary and Joseph and others that are connected to Jesus' birth, okay? I'm going to read a little bit from Luke. Stick with me. I know you've heard this a million times, but some stuff's going to pop out of this today in connection to God's goodness and our joy and satisfaction. I think you're going to go, wow, I never saw it before. So I picked this story, this narrative up in Luke 1 verse 26, and and I'm going to go from there, okay? So in the sixth month, it says, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now Elizabeth was one of Mary's relatives, it says a relative of hers, maybe an aunt or a cousin, something like that, we'll hear more about her in a minute, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David's. Now, David, by the way, was a direct descendant of Abraham's. That might ring some bells for you. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. This is often what angels seem to have to say to people. I hear, I see it over and over in Scripture when the angels show up. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He's referring back to King David, who the prophets had said when this Messiah came, would would be the new king, like in the place of David, and reign forever. And that's what he goes on here in verse 33. And he says, and he will reign over Jacob's, that's Israel's descendants, and his kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit of God will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. At that time, Mary got ready, it says, and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home, who was the husband of Elizabeth, and greeted Elizabeth. So let me just pause for a second. So the angel comes and tells Mary, you're a virgin, but you're going to become pregnant with God's own son. The Spirit of God's going to do that. And he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, who's way too old and barren and not able to conceive, by the way, she's already in her sixth month. She's having a baby too. And then it says that Mary hurried, like she split, like what? I have to go see this. And she goes and greets Elizabeth, picking it up in 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her, in her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's what she's wondering, because she already knows what's going on as well with Mary. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. By the way, her baby is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. Yep, that's who he'll be. 
So we see here, the joy begins with two women in seemingly impossible circumstances, both of them becoming miraculously pregnant. One was barren and way past her childbearing years. And like Abraham's wife, Sarah, back in the Old Testament, God provides them with a child despite the supposed impossible limitations. And Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist, would be the last of the Old Covenant-style prophets who's heralding and announcing the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Messiah, a forever king who would save and lead his people. And the other, Mary, was a virgin. Virgins don't have babies, (laughs) if you've been paying attention, right, in biology class. And at the beginning of her childbearing years, right, she wasn't even getting started. So she's on opposite ends of the spectrum here with Elizabeth. And yet God conceived in her a child without the help of a man. Like, wow, that still is mind-blowing, right? And the child would be the initiation and the fulfillment of a new covenant. That's what Jesus came to bring, this new covenant, the Messiah that God had long ago promised. Both pregnancies, they were impossible, and they were both like miracles, and both were part of God's plan of salvation. And both brought, among all kinds of other emotions, joy to their recipients, Now, I hope you're catching the connection here leading up to Jesus' birth between Abraham and Sarah back in the Old Testament. Abraham was who God came to and and, and initially gave this covenant promise. I'll make you a great nation. I'll make you the father of many. And through your line, I will bring one who will save the world, right? That was Abraham. And Sarah was also barren. I hope you're catching this connection. That was the beginning of God's initial covenant to bless the whole world. And now we see kind of that same thing happening again with Elizabeth, but Mary now is also having a baby. Wow, but she's, it's God's own son. It's amazing. I hope you're catching that, right? There's this, there's this, even in the announcement here and, and what's going on with Mary's relative there, Elizabeth, there's this connecting of the dots between the old covenant, the original covenant, and this long promised new covenant between God and mankind. Now, I'll continue the story briefly, picking up the narrative in Luke 2. It says, verse 1, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place, right, during their lives, okay? Now, everyone went to their own town where, like, they were born to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, okay, it's all these different sectors, right, to the town of David. That's what they actually called that. That's because that's David's hometown, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. They're not even married yet, but was expecting a child, this child that the angel promised, right? Now, while they were there, the time for the baby came to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. This is Jesus, right? She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. That's like a food trough for animals out in a barn, because there was no guest room available for them. They, they couldn't find a place to stay. So many people were in town for the census, right? So they're just like, well, uh, could we stay out in the barn? Because my wife's having a baby. So they did, right? And, and the baby Jesus was born, as we know, in a manger, this feeding trough. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And again, they were all terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, Check this out. He goes, I bring you good news that will cause 
great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I hope you're catching this. He's like, I'm bringing you what? Good news. It's the same phrase translated that we get the gospel, the word gospel from. And it's going to bring you what? Great joy. For who? For all the people. Matthew says the same thing in 2.10, verses 2.10. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The Bible tells us when these wise men see this star announcing the coming of the Messiah, they were filled with joy. You see, all of creation's been waiting for this since that moment when Adam and Eve distrusted God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, believing that God was holding something back from them and that that they, they knew what would be best, what would be good or gooder, <laughs> good for them, right? And that didn't work out so well for them or for all of humanity ever since. But Jesus came to satisfy our hunger and bring us joy, right? Even in, in Mary's song, she sings of God filling the hungry with good things, right? Luke one fifty three. She says, and she's got this song, right? She says, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty, right? He's filling up the world with hunger. I mean, filling up our hunger with joy. That's why he came. I hope you're catching this connection. It's really, really deep. This is why Jesus came. This is all part of that connection. God's, God creates needs that he alone is the ultimate fulfillment for. Okay, and now we're hearing Mary proclaiming that as well. So let me ask you this. Who or what do you look to most in your life for satisfaction? In what areas of your life are you saying right now, when I have this, then everything will be awesome. If I only had that or if this person was only more like that. And what's that producing in you? Like, how's that ultimately making you feel? Is that, does that bring in great joy and satisfaction to your life? And what are we saying about God in that moment? Like, when we look at, like, our spouse or our kids or the people in our church or this house that we actually own a home, it's amazing, right? Or this apartment or whatever we have, right? You know, and, you know, God, oh, this isn't, you know, we complain about it. Like, what are we saying about God? Like, God, you're not that good, right? You're just not that good. See, sometimes we go after stuff, we try to fill those needs ourselves, we find temporary satisfaction, ultimately followed by deep dissatisfaction, right? I mean, think about Adam and Eve. Their eyes were opened, it says, and then they covered themselves and hid in shame and guilt, right, after eating the fruit, right? Nothing but God deeply satisfies in an everlasting way. And if we're looking for satisfaction or fulfillment or joy, a meaning or our identity anywhere other than in God, I'm telling you, you're going to end up ultimately being left empty and probably hiding or blaming others. That, that's where it leads. It's, it's no different than in the garden with Adam and Eve. I mean, you might experience momentary pleasure or refreshment, but it'll be fleeting. And you'll find yourself back in want. And this is kind of progressive. Like, it just, it grows. We get into that cycle of life. The longer you try to satisfy your hunger with something other than God and his provision, living in his ways, the more desperate your hunger will become and your, disfa- your dissatisfaction. And this is why some of us are in extreme debt, right? We, we just piling up debt. We keep thinking that if we had this house or this car or 
these clothes or maybe that video game unit or whatever, right? We'd be satisfied. Then when it doesn't deeply satisfy, because we're still, there's still that longing that only God can fill and bring and fill with joy, we're on to the next purchase, going way beyond our means that God has given us in his goodness to live with. Or maybe maybe you change careers really often thinking, no, this job will do it. Or you know, if I had this going on, or if I got that promotion, or I had that title. Or maybe you engage in overeating, or undereating, or overdrinking. Or sometimes those, those longings we're trying to fill lead to sexual immorality and addictions to pornography, things like that. Here's a diagnostic. What, what are you often complaining about in your life? Like, you, you know, just not that great. You don't have gratitude around. And you believe God's just not that good in that area. I mean, you know, thanks, God, but, you know, I'd probably be gooder. Right? We keep thinking, you know, if I, if I just had the right boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, then I'd be satisfied. Or if my wife was just this way. Or, you know, if the people in my church or on my board would stop, if they were like, and we're just, we're just basically, we're just going to keep piling it up and go further down that rabbit hole. And it's as if we think, you know, I know better. I know good and evil better. What would be good for me? Does that sound familiar? And, you know, maybe, maybe we just need a rewiring of our understanding of good and bad or good and evil. Remember, we weren't created to manage that. God warned Adam and Eve, warned us. Like, the day you try to manage that for yourself, basically be your own provision, you will surely die. Because, like, why do we, why do we call stuff bad, but God's given it to us? But he says he's done all these things for our good and ultimately for his glory, that we would know his goodness and know what he's really ultimately like. And if we believe that God is good, that he always does what is good, right, and perfect, then we can look at the situations or circumstances or people and things in our life through a new lens and perspective. Hey, you know, I'm over here complaining about this person or that, but what if, what if they're exactly what I need to become more like Jesus? Or, you know, man, if we only had a bigger house, bigger living, and we could have a lot more people in here and do a lot better ministry, what if God's wanting you exactly where you are and he's teaching you and training you something, and there's people in proximity to you that he wants you to love on so badly, and it's going to change you, and it's going to bring him glory and you joy and, and others, right? Like, maybe we need to rewire that and, and start to say, wait a minute, if, if all things come from God and he only does what is good and right and perfect, then where's the good in it, right? There's a quote, maybe you've heard it before, uh, by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. And it's famous. You've probably, I, I love it, but it's kind of ouchy. <laughs> Ooh. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. <laughs> yeah, we are. That's, that's like kind of ouch, but that's true. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere for our satisfaction and joy. And we don't have to try to manufacture it up or kill ourselves to get it or overexpect from others. God is good, so we don't have to look outside or anywhere else for our satisfaction and joy. Think about what you crave. What are you looking for or what you're going to over and over for satisfaction? 
Let me just tell you, Jesus is the greater. He's the better and the best. Are you like the woman at the well? You remember that story? Looking for meaning and love and fulfillment from relationships over and over? Jesus gives himself and his perfect, unending love to you completely. This is what gives our lives eternal meaning and joy. Or maybe you're looking for some good in material things, in more stuff, stuff that will ultimately perish and rust away. Jesus, who is God, took on flesh. He became physical, living as a perfect human who enables all everybody, all who trust in him, to have new eternal bodies and a new earth to enjoy that will never fail or fall apart or fade away. If you're trying to fill your hunger and find joy with lust or food or experiences, fill in the blank, I just want to encourage you, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You've probably heard that. He is the way to the Father who created life, and he is saving us from our own destruction and gives us abundance in eternal life. Humanity was hungry. Jesus came to satisfy our hunger and all of our dissatisfactions and meet our needs and bring us joy. I want you to believe that. I want that to be true for me, for my family, for you and yours, for your community, for your church this, this season. Let that be our focus. You know, in closing, I was reminded of when our Heavenly Father spoke aloud this statement over Jesus at his baptism, right? His cousin John the Baptist, that one who leapt in his mother's womb, is baptizing Jesus, and he comes up out of the water. Mark 1, 11, it says, this is God the Father. He says, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus brings joy even to his father, right? Our father as well. It's amazing. And he wants to bring you great joy today. Look to him for your joy. God is good. So you don't have to look elsewhere. All right. As always, I want to wrap things up with our big three takeaways from today's topic. So if nothing else, you don't want to miss these. And uh, you can get a printable PDF of this in case you're driving or don't want to try to write this all down or whatever. You can get a printable PDF of the big three as a, as a free download by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three. Easy. Okay, so here's the big three for this week. First, God created us with hunger for our own good. He's not manipulating us, but sustaining us and keeping us alive. The very fact that we are the created and he's the creator proves that we need him. We wouldn't exist without him or apart from him. He's the source of all life. God is the greatest and most glorious being that exists, and he created us as an expression of who he is. Our hunger is a continual reminder that this is all about him and not us. It's about his glory, not ours. Our ongoing needs remind us that God is the one we turn to for life, life itself. Second, the big three, Jesus is the better fulfillment of all your hunger and any lack of joy in your life. How good is Jesus? Here's a small list. He's good enough to satisfy the righteousness of God by being our righteousness. Wow. He's good enough to satisfy the wrath of God by being our substitute. Jesus is good enough to satisfy the justice of God by paying our penalties for our sin and our choices. He's good enough to satisfy the holiness of God by removing our sin and guilt from us. It's removed, it's over, it's finished. 
He's good enough to overcome the curse of sin by overcoming death through his resurrection that we might now also have life eternal. And he's good enough to be our continual advocate before the Father, keeping us secure by his work and ongoing intercessions. Wow, if he's doing all that, what do you, what do you want or lack now? Just ask him for it. And third, what are you feasting on in your search for satisfaction and joy? You know, Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit of the tree because it was pleasing to their eye in the moment. It appeared to be good, but ultimately they died. Their desire to be their own provision brought death into the world, and we're no different. We're just the same. Mary praised God because he sent his son Jesus into the world to fill the hungry with good food. He's the tree of life, and the fruit of his life, death and resurrection, is our eternal food that gives life everlasting. Oh, it's so good news. (laughs) Now and all year. God created us to be hungry as a way to continually remind us that to try and find life outside of God is to choose death. So this Christmas and every day, which tree will you go to? Let's go to the tree of life. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere for our satisfaction and joy. All right. Wow, that's powerful. That's thick, right? That's deep. You might need to re-listen to parts of that. I want to also ask you, would you share this with others? Would you share this episode? Like, let them know about it. You can, you know, go on to the everydaydisciple.com site, find it, send the the link to it, whatever. Or if you see it in your Facebook feed, just forward that through your Facebook page. I, I think a lot of us, I know I certainly did. I need to be reminded God is good, so I don't need to look elsewhere for my satisfaction and joy. Well, that's about it today. I want to invite you to join me next week as we wrap up part four of this Advent series as we'll see that God is gracious so we can experience love in the deepest of ways. I hope you'll join me for that, okay? And Merry Christmas. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.